Hello and welcome to the Evolvepreneur podcast for entrepreneurs. And I'm your host, Brian Silverthorne. And it's always my mission to help entrepreneurs make a difference that they want to make in their business and to help them navigate the sometimes challenging worlds of startup growth or relaunch. And today we're going to dig deep with our guests to get you the best concepts and strategies to help fast track your business. And our guest today is Lynn Power. And after many years in the corporate world, Lynn left to uh, launch a couple of new ventures. So welcome to the show, Lynn. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to listen to uh, your journey, how you uh, made the decision and got there. So why don't we start by you giving us a little bit of your backstory, everything that's gone on in your life that uh, yeah. got you to where you are today. Yeah, well, that's a long episode, so I'll try. I'll try to keep it somewhat brief. But um, basically, I spent my entire career, thirty-year career, in advertising, and I was. I started kind of back in the late '80s when it was still a little bit of the Mad Men esque era. Um, but by the time I left, it was a very different industry um, for for lots of reasons. Some some good, some bad, um, but. Uh, I had kind of done everything I wanted to do in advertising. I worked on lots of different categories and businesses, and I, I was running ad agencies in, in the, the, the latter half of my career, and I was actually the CEO of a very large ad agency. Actually, they were also one of the agencies that was on Mad Men, um, J. Walter Thompson, <laughs> New York. And I just realized that it, it wasn't what I was enjoying anymore. I was spending a lot of my time doing a lot of bureaucratic things, um, dealing with HR issues and finance meetings and legal issues and things that in my opinion are not the most fun way to spend your day. So um, I decided, you know what? I loved the industry for a long time, but it's time to do something that is more in the spirit of what I want to spend my days doing, which is building brands. That's what I love to do. That's why I got into the business to begin with. So I quit. Um, and it was a great decision. Um, and then about 18 months later, I launched Masami, which is clean premium hair care. And then about six months after that, I launched Ilda Nature, which is a luxury bee-powered home fragrance company. So I have been, I have been busy. <laughs> that sounds that way. Yeah. So, so did these two new ventures find you or did you find them? One found me and I found the other one. So the hair care business found me in the sense of I met the, my co-founder, James, through my husband um, a couple of months after I left advertising and he'd been working on our formulations for almost 10 years. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, and I've done a lot of beauty. So that was why my husband thought it would be a good idea to introduce me to him. James had formulas, but he didn't have any idea how to commercialize the business whatsoever. So um, I met him and I'm thinking to myself, okay, this guy's either crazy or he's like a genius because <laughs> Who does that? Who spends all their money and time and all their spare anything working on this hair care brand for 10 years? Um, and sure enough, it's a little bit of both, but mostly genius. And his husband, Masa, who our brand is named after because he's really our muse, they came over for dinner. And Masa was just such a, a sweet, 
elegant man. And he basically says to James, the equivalent of shit or get off the pot. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? He was kind really? of like, okay, you've been doing this in, a, in his own Zen, very nice way. He said that. He said, you've been doing this a really long time, you know, it's time to either do something with this or not. And then, and then I tried the products and they were fantastic. And we said, you know what, let's go for it. Let's partner together. Let's launch a business and see if we can do it. Um, it's obviously hard. There's lots of challenges and then launching right before COVID that, that was, you know, interesting to say the least. Um, so in that case, I would say James found me in my other business. I really found it. I'd gone to Dominica it's a long story, but basically fell in love with the island, bought some land, have friends there that have a boutique hotel. They got crushed by Hurricane Maria and lost half the bee population on the island. Oh, and this idea kind of came out of what can we do to help bring bees back, but make it a luxury? Because really getting people to think about nature as a luxury is kind of the reality of our world now. There are very few places in the world where you can go that are devoid of Starbucks and McDonald's and golf courses and, you know, all those human pleasures. But um, this is one of them. And so that was how that idea came about. So is, is, is that like under the would, would it be under the ecotourism umbrella or um, is something a little bit different? No, it, it, it's, it is, although it's a product, it's a candle made from beeswax from Dominica. Okay. But what we do is when we uh, sell the products, a portion of our proceeds goes back to buy, to build more hives there. Okay. So we're trying to replenish the, po the bee population there on the island and give back to the island while we're also giving the customer a luxury experience with a really, really good smelling, amazing smelling product. Um, so it's kind of a win-win. Yeah, I know uh, um, regenerating, if that's the right word, the bee population is extremely important because uh, without those little creatures, life would be a whole lot tougher on the planet here. Yes. And yeah. people know that. They've heard, you know, save the bees. But, but when you see it happen in that kind of microclimate, you know, D Dominique is a volcanic island and it's small. And, you know, you actually were like, oh, my God, half the bees are gone. And these people rely on the bees as pollinators for their local food. That's not good, you know. So um, and, and, and these days, it seems like natural disasters are constant, right? So if it's not a hurricane, it's a tsunami or a wildfire or something else happening. So, yeah, a little crazy. Yeah. Pick your spot of the world and there's something that Mother Nature is going to do to you. Um, so with both of these hats that you're wearing, uh, uh, what are the challenges that you have keeping them both moving in, in the right direction? Well, I'd say um, I'm definitely more focused on Masami. Um, uh, it's, it's further along and it's just, it's, it's definitely the baby. And, and I, I, I could look at my other business a little bit more as a passion project right now. Um, cause I only have so many hours in the day, but that is one of the challenges, right? Like how to, how to juggle everything and do it all on top of that. I got breast cancer last year. So oh I'm my. Yep. So that was interesting. Cause I'm just, you know, a year into launching these businesses and then I'm diagnosed and with stage three 
a very rare kind of breast cancer, but good news is I'm almost through my treatment. Um, so that's, that's been positive, but, uh, one of my big challenges and anyone who is an entrepreneur can probably relate to this because most of us are very type A and control freaks. It's learning how to delegate and learning how to figure that out and learning how to prioritize, not just like day-to-day -day priorities, like, am I going to do my social media post or my Facebook ads, but like really look at the business because when you have that kind of health situation, I mean, I, there were days or weeks when I just, I just was crushed. I just couldn't do stuff. And so you really had to find ways to keep the business going um, outside of your own ability to do that. And I'm lucky that my partner, James on Masami, and then I have Kristen who works with me on Masami and she's a high school friend of mine. And then my brother does a, a lot of our operations and they all really stepped in and, and helped fill the void. Um, so that was great. But then of course, on top of that, there's the challenges that everybody has with Facebook ROIs being awful and, you know, supply chain being challenged and, you know, hard to get into salons when they were closed for COVID and all that other stuff. Yeah. Well, <laughs> nothing's, nothing's easy when you get started and uh, COVID made it that much more difficult for a lot of people than a lot of industries. So I understand yes. that. So, um, so did you, while you were facing those challenges, did you develop other than delegation? Did you develop any strategies that will help you streamline the business and even go, go better once those things are out of the way? You know, one of the best things that I did, and I almost fell into it from a pragmatic perspective, but it ended up being an absolute lifesaver is um, brand partnerships. And what I mean by that is partnering with other like-minded brands. And in my case, it's brands in the clean beauty and wellness space to help each other and grow each other's businesses. So we started doing small things, you know, social media posts or blogs or giveaways or gift with purchase exchanges. And then that led to doing live streaming and led to other things. And before I know it, fast forward to... Uh, April of this year, rewind a little, but fast forward from my COVID days. And then I was launching a collective called Conscious Beauty Collective with 32 of these indie beauty brands, because I realized we're all kind of in the same boat. And when you can have a community of people that can help each other, it makes all the difference in the world. And suddenly together, we have over 600,000 social media followers. Oh, my right? Instead of my paltry 12,000. So suddenly, you know, you get to tap into this ecosystem that, you know, are all people like you. So they're all founders who, who are doing, you know, making products that are good for you and good for the environment, and they want to do the right thing. And we're all indie brands, and very few of us have funding or investors. So um, this has been amazing. And so we did, we did a pop-up store in uh, San Francisco starting in April. It was supposed to be two months. We extended it an extra month. And now we're moving to the Natick Mall in Boston starting in September. And we'll be there till the end of the year. Interesting. Interesting. So in in uh, in the branding partnerships and, and promoting your stuff individually, you've, I noticed you've got a pretty good social media presence and 
all of that takes time unless you can delegate it to somebody. And if you do, then you've got to pay them. And even if you do, there can be a lot of control issues because you got to do one thing over here and another thing over there. Um, you know, we, we, I, I know I've worked with some clients to help them consolidate all of that and, and make their lives easier. Um, are you, do you, are you facing some of those struggles of kind of keeping tabs on everything? A little bit. I mean, when I launched the Conscious Beauty Collective, I really wanted to not have to have the social media footprint because my thinking was, I don't want to be a retailer. I'm not trying to get people to follow the store. I want people to follow the brands. So if I really just get the brands to push the content out, then I don't have to have the extra task of doing it. But I realized that people just expect certain things these days. And if you don't have an Instagram account, then people kind of don't take you seriously. So you have to like figure that out. So what I ended up doing is when we launched in San Francisco, I hired marketing interns. I had eight of them and they worked in the store. They were my employees, but they also set up the Instagram, set up the TikTok, created the content. And so that was fantastic. It was a little bit of an experiment for me to see, okay, how's this going to go? And it was great. And so one of the interns has been just spectacular. And so we've, we've continued with her on now that we're moving to Boston. So she's going to continue managing all the social media virtually, but that just took it off my plate because otherwise yeah. I would have been doing it. Right. And that would not have been fun or pretty for anybody. Uh, I do do it for my other brands, but it's, it's, it's easy because it's second nature to me. And I don't mind. It doesn't take me a lot of time to do that, but it would have been doing it for the, the, the conscious beauty collective is a whole different task because I know my brands intimately. I know our values. I know our, our imagery, our aesthetic, but when you're representing 30 other brands yeah. and if I'm going to post about a brand, then I got to go do my research and I got, you know, make sure I'm being accurate and what I'm saying about, you know, it's, so it's like, it's not, it, it, that's, that goes from being a five minute thing for me to like, you know, a 45 minute thing to me, for me. So anyway, that's off my plate. Thank God. Um, and so, yeah, I, 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 I find the social media, I, I don't mind doing it, but there are certain things that, you know, it's like everybody else. I'm not great at TikTok. I still don't fully get it or understand it. Um, I do have kids who are much you know, I have a 21 year old and a 19 year old and um, they, they have a much better intuition for that than I do. Although I don't think they can, they've struggled to sort of figure it out for the brand or to get me to figure it out for the brand, put it that way. Um, um, and I, I really hate Facebook as, as a, as a brand, the, the interface, um, just the way that you have to set everything up, I find it so clunky and cumbersome and not user-friendly at all. So I, even though I do it, I try to resist going in and tweaking because I just hate it so much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not familiar with that type of advertising at all. Um, so I, uh, I know that a lot of people use it successfully and uh, 
I don't know if it works in particular niches and doesn't work in others. I really, I really don't know. I, I do have one buddy that became a, a master of Google ads and uh, it really was uh, tremendous for his particular type of business. But yeah, but other than that, I don't know too much about it. So for, for Masami and, and, um, the other things that you have going, have do you set any like twelve month uh, revenue goals? Do you have a revenue goal that you're shooting for at this minute? Yeah, absolutely. You know, when I launched, we had goals, and we, you know, we kind of. I have a, a finance guy who's really good at kind of matching out, you know, the goals and planning out the inventory and whatnot. But to be honest, then when I got cancer, things kind of really had to get reevaluated because. I just wasn't able to do all the things that we had planned to be able to get to the goals. So now I'm much more realistic about it in the sense of as long as my business is growing, (laughs) (laughs) I consider that a success because there's so many things out of our control right now that, um, and it is, uh, look, I'm a big believer in goal setting I think that's important and to know the KPIs and to know your metrics and to be able to see what's working and not working. But I also know there's so many things out of outside of our control that it's so easy as a founder to beat yourself up when you can't get into that retailer you wanted, or you can't get into the salons you wanted, or, or your Amazon ads aren't as effective or your Facebook ads don't work. You know what I mean? There's just, there's, there's a lot of things, a lot, it feels like there's a lot of, headwinds. And so um, anytime there's a tailwind, I think you got to grab it and be happy. And like I said, if even if you're only up 1%, you're still up. That's my attitude these days. <laughs> yeah, I understand that. So yeah, with it, it's difficult to waste energy, I guess, in trying to control what you can't control. But I, uh, it's, I've always found it's a good investment of time to figure out if the things that you think you can't control that you may have some influence over and you actually can gain control. So I don't know if you view those challenges that way or not, or what would you, uh, what would you define as your biggest challenge right at the moment to, that's in your way? I think the biggest challenge is acquiring new customers, because when you're a tiny brand and you don't have a lot of capital it's, it's, it's hard. And to find those channels where you can get exposure and get a new customer without having to spend an arm and a leg is just not that easy these days. And so, you know, back, back in the day when DTC brands were in their heyday, I think it was pretty, I don't want to say easy, but it was, um, a viable way to launch a business profitably because you could control your digital advertising costs to some degree and expect a certain return from that. And now I think that's just not the case. So that's why the brand partnerships to me are a great alternative way to acquire new customers. It may take a little longer because you're, you're basically, you know, kind of cloning, you know, those customers because you're finding other clean beauty customers who don't know about you they may have to hear about you five, six, seven times before they convert. Mm-hmm. But at least if they're in the right mindset um, and you've got a way in through another brand, I think, you know, you, your odds of converting that person are a lot higher than, you know, 
some of the uh, the other ways that we're we're trying to do it these days, which are challenging. Yeah. Well, once you acquire a customer and a good customer, do you uh, you have systems in place to stay in touch with them, to offer them incentives for future per- purchases, referrals, uh, all of that stuff? Yeah. So we do have a loyalty program, and then we also, you know, we do a pretty robust um, email. By robust, I mean regular. Um, we don't. We're, I, I'm not a fan of emailing people more than once a week, even though the email experts will tell you that people have a tolerance for you know two, three, four times a week. I just find I don't have a tolerance for that. So this is where I'm probably applying my own filter as opposed to looking at the data. But um, yeah, so we we do we do a lot of things like that, um, and we have very high repeat purchase. Our products are excellent, so we have about thirty five percent repeat purchase, and it just keeps going up and up, which is great um, because in our category in beauty, it's much much lower than that. And so, yeah. um, so that's also why you know for me, if I get if I get ten new customers there's a good chance three of them are going to come back over and over and over again. So it's, it's, it's uh, a good place to focus. Yeah. I, I, I agree with you on the email. I get plenty of email. And if, if you haven't got a real interesting short headline, the delete button is my best friend. So I don't, yeah. I don't go much beyond that. I don't get annoyed by getting overwhelmed by them. I'm just can be quickly selective, I guess. Yes. Uh, so do you do do you do any reaching out to your customers like by way of surveys or do you offer them tips and stuff on how to use the product or? Yeah, I mean we do some surveys um, and we do include some tips in our packaging on how to use. Um, I probably could do more on that now that you're saying it. Probably to be more proactive about reaching out. Um, uh, and then, you know, people, people write reviews. We encourage that obviously, because for us, that's really important. People trust the reviews a lot more than they trust us. So it's, you know, and, and hair is funny because people always think, well, my hair is different, you know, and it's like, it could be somebody with really curly hair. It could be somebody with really straight hair. It could be somebody with really short hair, but they all say that every single person, my hair, you know, is tricky. My hair is different. And, um, but our products literally work for virtually every hair type. So, yeah. Interesting. Well, we're getting kind of toward the, the end of the time here. So okay. do you have any final thoughts? I, I mean, I'm enjoying this. I'm, my hair is just there. So I'm, I'm not <laughs> your customer. I mean, what's, look, left of, what's left of it is there. I hear you. Well, I guess, <laughs> yeah, well, I was a bald hair care founder while I was going through chemo. So there we go. Yeah. So that was fun. But yeah, no, my final thoughts would be, um, well, first of all, if, if, if you're listening and you don't really have an interest or haven't explored clean beauty, you really need to because there's so much crap in our beauty products. You'd be shocked at how many toxins are in mass beauty products and they can cause allergies. They can be endocrine disruptors. They can even cause cancer. I have a skincare founder that is in my collective who really believes that she had breast cancer when she was 26, that it was caused by her deodorant. So um, who knows, but you know what, educate yourself, get into clean beauty and you'll be happy you did. Um, And then uh, my other just thing is, listen, you know, 
it's never too late to do what you love. You know, I, I launched my businesses in my fifties. Um, and often I have people that are my age who are like, Oh, I could never do that now. Why? Like what's holding you back. And I think people feel like they're, they're, they're complacent because of the construct of their life in corporate America and taking a paycheck and all those things. But if you kind of just twist the lens a little bit and look at it differently, chances are you could be doing something that is much, much more enjoyable and something you're passionate about with not a whole lot of sacrifice. So I think that's an excellent way to end it. I, I, and I totally agree with you. You can, you can get started over at just about any time. I, I met yes. a, a woman years ago who started a brand new business as, as an author and a speaker when she was 65 and, and did very well for many years after that. So it that's can amazing. be done. So yeah. listen, Lynn, I have uh, truly enjoyed talking with you and learning about what you're doing. And, and uh, it, uh, one of the great things that for me in, in this gig is that I get to meet interesting people like you and, and learn about different things that are going on in the world. So I thank you for being a guest and thank you for contributing. Yeah, thank you. It was fun.